Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 62. So the last time the message was titled Two Clear Comings, and you can see some 8th centuries B.C. that God was already preparing his people for, to see that the Messiah would come twice. When you really do an in-depth study on Isaiah or any of the prophets, the prophetic works, you can see, again, this is before the first century, how clearly it pointed to the Messiah's coming and that he would have two roles. The first role as a ministerial role, to die for our sins, and the second role, which is actually in our future, is a a very powerful role to redeem uh, physical creation. And this morning, the message is titled, Jerusalem's and Your Future. Jerusalem, if you take the word in its original language, means possession of peace. Jerusalem can also mean foundation of peace. And that was always God's desire for his people. But as we can see through the millennia, that Jerusalem unfortunately didn't live up to that role, and largely because the people didn't live up to that role, and we'll talk about that as well. So a lot surrounds Jerusalem. When we talk about Jerusalem, we talk about a rich history that goes back thousands of years. Um, before I was a Christian, I really knew nothing about Jerusalem. When I became a Christian, I'm like, wow, I gotta, I gotta do some research on this. And then God kind of changed my focus from an Americentric focus to a God-centric focus. You know, America is actually a very new nation, if you really look at it. Uh, Jerusalem has very rich, uh, thousands of year history. So we look at Jerusalem, we see Abraham and Isaac, his thwarted sacrifice of his son, but and this is good for the Q&A session if you have questions about that, but it really was a type of the father sending his son to die for our sins. Uh, we look at King David, and I'm doing this in chronological order. David uh, conquered Jerusalem and annexed it and made it the capital of Israel. Uh, when we talk about Jerusalem, we talk about the spiritual seat. We talk about the temples. We talk about the priesthood, the sacrifices, which also, incidentally, pointed to Christ. We're talking about B.C. days, right? In the first century, Jesus comes. He prophesies about Jerusalem. He does a lot of ministering in Jerusalem. And he also uh, is, is tried and then taken outside and crucified. So you can see that, and of course, that was done so that he could die for our sins. As we look at this, we'll see that Christ will come again. He had a lot to say about Jerusalem. We're going to partake of communion today. Jesus had a lot to say about his return. You might come from a church where you're like, wow, this is interesting to me, because when we took communion, I never heard this. Well, if you look at Jesus' teachings about communion, he joyfully spoke about his return and his redemption of the physical creation. And we look forward to that. So as the Jews in pre-BC looked forward to the first coming, we look forward, we were happy about his first coming, and we look forward to his second coming. So it's all a matter of chronology, and we're going to look at this in three parts. So jumping in in uh, chapter 62, verse 1, it says, For Zion, or the Temple Mount, uh, Jerusalem area, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. I won't keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that 
burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So one out of three is Jerusalem gets a new name. It gets a new character. And the first thing we see is uh, Isaiah, God is speaking to Isaiah. He tells him to write these things down. He tells him to speak to the people about his words, right? Isaiah is the the mediator or the prophet, okay? And God is saying, I'm not going to hold my peace. I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to keep silent until Jerusalem is what Jerusalem should be. You know, as I was studying this, I have to believe it's from the Holy Spirit, I felt the strong burning desire to make parallels to people. Okay, because God cares about a city. If God cares about a city, how much more does he care about the people in that city? How much more does he care about you or the believers? Because the city is really nothing without inhabitants. Because what happens in eternity? What's the most important thing? Two things, God and souls. By all this stuff, what we do, our professions, our degrees, our... The things we accumulate in this life really amount to nothing in eternity. It's all about joy and peace and and a relationship with the Lord up close and personal. Very exciting. So God is concerned for your success. Now, you might turn on the TV and see one of these preachers and get the wrong impression of what success is. Because they're always talking about money. Money is just a medium of exchange limited to this world. In eternity, there is no money. It's not important. And they're going in the wrong direction. But he is concerned about your growth. He's concerned about your maturity, your emotional stability. These are the things that God cares about, uh, about his people. And that's exciting. But going back to the city, if you look at the characteristics of what he's saying here, and you're a student of history, you realize that as he's speaking about Jerusalem, He's speaking about a time that hasn't happened yet, and that's the thing in prophecy. Prophecy is fulfilled at different periods of time. Okay, so we're talking about a future. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. We're talking about when the Lord returns. So continue reading. God won't rest until Jerusalem, its righteousness goes forth as brightness. Now, when it was written, Jerusalem was spiritually corrupt. It was terrible. But God is patient with them. God's patient with us too. I got to be honest with you. I probably cut myself less slack. It's just my nature. Then God cuts me. God has already forgiven me. I make a mistake. And some of you do this. You hold yourself to this ridiculous standard. And God's like, I'm not upset with you. I've already forgiven you. You see what I'm saying? So God is, is an awesome God. He's a loving God. And God can even be more merciful than we often are with ourselves. Think about that for a moment. He continues, the Gentiles will see Jerusalem's righteousness and the king's her glory. Uh, God always desired that his people would be a spiritual light, but they fell short. What does Jesus say in the first century about believers, those who follow him? He says, you are the light of the world. 
right? You, you, you put a lamp out for all to see. You don't hide a lamp. You, you want its light to be exposed. When we're doing it right as believers, we are reflecting, radiating, emanating, whatever term you want to use, the light of Christ when we're doing it right. Do we always do it right? No, because we're still in sinful flesh. So it's, I love the balance in the scripture. But let me just say this again. If God won't give up on a city, do you think he'll give up on you? The answer is no. Ten times out of ten, when I preach a sermon, there's one person or five people or more that come up to me and say, you know what, I needed to hear that this morning. This was for me. I almost didn't come to church. But boy, I, I'm just, I, I'm in the spirit now. And, you know, the word spoke to me. And that's what the word does. It's beautiful. Here, let me leave you with an awesome scripture in Philippians 1.6. It says that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are a work in progress. Now, there's times we take 10 steps forward and we're really thrilled. And there's times that we take a few steps backward. And then we go forward again. It's just a human condition. But God, the Bible tells me, and this is, when you know the scripture and you go through hard times, you, you rely on these scriptures. You know, I know especially older saints who know these scriptures, that when they go through trials, they quote these things. They know it. They memorize it, right? It's very, very exciting. So even for me personally, when I get down on myself, I know that God isn't finished with me until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that. Even in my sinful state, he's still working on me. And the future only gets better. So two, he says, you, Jerusalem, shall be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will name. And we also get a new nature. We look at uh, Old Testament, New Testament. doesn't matter, right? Abram to Abraham. God calls him by a different name. And the name change means something significant to each person. Sarai to Sarah. Jacob, supplanter, to Israel, prince with God. And it has several meanings. Now, Jacob was a, a squirrely guy, man. He was a scrappy dude. He, uh, he was always scheming. And even when he started following the Lord, his old ways would pop up every so often in God. But God was working on him. And he did make a substantial change over the course of his life. Simon to Peter, Petros, rock, stone. Revelation 2.17, Revelation 3.12, it says that the overcomers will get a new name. Now, my opinion is that, and it's only because, so I'll tell you at times, this is what the Bible says, and then I'll tell you, this is Pastor Joe's opinion. You can do whatever you want with my opinion, take it or leave it. But the most important thing is that when we talk about the Bible, God's word is, is solid. So here's my opinion. My opinion is when we are in his presence or when he returns or calls us home, that we're going to get a new name. So if you don't like your name, you got something to look forward to. And I got to be honest with you. Whenever I order something on the phone, they say, what is your name? I always dread it. Joe. Deprosimo. Can you spell that? D-E-P, D-E-T, David, Echo, Papa, Romeo, Ocean, Sierra, Sierra, item, item. You know, so I do it phonetically. I can't wait to shed this last name because people, and I get, even I got the, uh, the CPR thing and they spelled my name wrong. I can't win. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking forward to that new name. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping that's a done deal. Okay. Continuing on, um, verse 4 through 5, he says, You will not be called forsaken or desolate. Jerusalem 
There are certain cities in the world that kind of were in the center of everything, and Jerusalem was one of those cities. Jerusalem knew the pain of war and destruction, but that's going to change in the future. And again, you might have come here this morning and you read Forsaken and Desolate. You're not actually thinking about Jerusalem. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about mistakes that you made in life. You're thinking about failed relationships. But God loves you, you know? Again, the the things we deal with as human beings in the human walk of life, we have to not take that and apply that to our loving father. So we all, all, listen, you live long enough, you have some type of past. You have something that you wish you could have done better. If you feel forsaken, if you feel desolate, the Lord, he doesn't see you like that. He's got these new names and we're going to talk about uh, those names. And of course, we're speaking about Jerusalem contextually. Um, Again, if you're a child of God, it only gets better from here. Revelation 21 tells us there's going to be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow for the former things have passed away. And I read this at funerals because it gives the listeners encouragement. It gives the family encouragement. And this is a true statement. So when the, you know, again, as we move closer and inch closer and closer towards eternity, these things are going to become a living reality. The painful memories that you have, the things you just can't get out of your mind. I believe that when we're, the Lord comes for us, that's going to be gone. We're not going to spend eternity with regret. We do it here. We really shouldn't the more we know the Lord, but we do. Um, God's going to do a great work and I'm excited for that. Let's look at the names he has for Jerusalem. Hephzibah, it means my delight is in her. Beulah, it means married. These are spousal metaphors. And if you look at the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see his relationship with people is this spiritual intimacy. He keeps referring to people. You know, in the Old Testament, the father spoke of Israel as his bride. Uh, We look at Ephesians 5. We look at the relationship between a husband and a wife. And you see that, that spiritual uh, spousal metaphor between Jesus Christ and his church. And this is the cool thing. Actually, Pastor Sam and I were having this awesome discussion uh, this week about his message. And he was speaking about dispensationalism and some of the things he had heard on the radio. Dispensationalism is a solid teaching, how God deals with his people in each different time period. But some have hijacked the teaching and made it very cold. Unfortunately, you can listen to a teaching about dispensationalism, and it can be very cold. It could be, uh, there's a group that usually are hyper-Calvinists, they, uh, they're called cessationalists. Not sensationalists, cessation, as in cease, as in stop. And what they believe is that it's, it's a very cold belief system, that the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of healing, miracles, like they've, they've kind of expired uh, when the apostles took over the, the first church. And it's a cold thing. You know, we believe in miracles. We've seen miracles, right? We've seen, we know people do have gifts of the Spirit. So you, you have to make sure that as we go through this, you know, God did not turn what we're to enjoy in this time period into a, a cold, rote, mindless, emotionless religion. So, you know, when you hear something on the radio, people do. They get it. Pastor Sam knows the Bible very well. He immediately picks it up and goes, this is, this is not good. But that's why we need to know our Bibles, because then we can get confused. We'll watch this guy on TV. We hear Pastor Joe on Sunday. Uh, we listen to this guy on the radio. and like, ah, what do I do? Go back to your scripture. 
And if they're not using scripture, or there's just a little piece of it and they take it out of context, then you know that there's a problem with that teaching. But there's a custom, there was a custom back then, there's still a custom today that the bride, when she gets married, she takes on a new name. She takes on her husband's name. When we're married to God, we also get a new name. Again, spiritual intimacy. I want to read two scriptures that to me are very exciting. Verse 4, he speaks about the Lord delighting in us. If we could put up Psalm eighteen nineteen. Psalm of David, he says, he brought me out of a broad, he brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. This isn't something special for David. The Lord delights in us as well. Now watch the, the, um, the relationship, right, that goes back and forth. Verse, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So it goes both ways. That's why we preach in this church, we preach relationship. We don't preach religion. You know, religion, again, I grew up in religion. I went to many different churches, and they were cold. And then I went to a Calvary, not this one, obviously, um, as I was my formative years as a Christian, and I learned about how God loves me, right? We, I learned about relationship over religion. It's very exciting. So the Lord delights in us, but we can also delight in him. And the more you get to know the Lord, and you, you pray and you, you read his scriptures and you, you fellowship with other believers, you start to build this really wonderful relationship with the Lord. Very exciting. Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom gets a new name. Let's go back to context. It's going to be glorious. They're going to get a much needed change. But as I said before, and I'll reiterate, what does it matter if there's a city and there's nobody in it? God was looking at his believers. God was, um, he was invested in their success. He was invested in their change. And he is the same thing with us too. Anybody here ready for a new life? Should come in here seeking the things of God. Maybe you've been here for a few months and maybe you've never taken the walk to receive Jesus. Are you ready for something new? Something better, right? And in this area, New Jersey, 2019, everybody's got their guard up. But this is God we're talking about. He won't hurt you. God sees what we can be, and his desire is to bless us. Yeah, we're sinners. That's, that's an easy one. I say that, and I don't squirm or anything, because I take it in context. God knows that he loves me. He knows that he's, his son has died for my sins. He knows he's invested in my success. And he sees me for what I can be, and that's exciting. Verses 6 through 9, we continue. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him, give the Lord no rest until he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no longer give your grain to be food for your enemies and the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine. For which you have labored, for but those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. 
Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy court. So two out of three is the watchmen over Jerusalem. Now, I'll talk to you about literal watchmen. Who are they? What do they do? And we'll talk about spiritual watchmen. So verse six, watchmen. They also don't hold their peace day and night as they intercede for what Jerusalem can be. Now, literal watchmen was, you know, the bigger cities, the ones who could afford it would put up walls. Some of these walls were actually very thick. And at the top, the archers and the, the spearmen and uh, these, they were like the military. You know, right now there's unmanned and manned vehicle over our airspace protecting us in the United States. They're watchmen. The military are watchmen. The police are watchmen. I remember I was on patrol during Hurricane Sandy and it was a state of emergency. You know, the tele- I was watching telephone poles come down and wires and and it was wet and we were trying to keep the people safe so there's a a literal watchman that translates to today right the protection of the city but there's also spiritual watchmen right at times watchmen were the prophets ezekiel 33 ezekiel speaks of himself as a god-appointed watchman Now, Ezekiel didn't take a sword, he didn't take a shield, but he was in prayer. He was interceding for the people and the city. He was a spiritual watchman. In Daniel 4.13, kind of cool, we read about the watchers, these angelic beings that were observing things that were happening in the Babylonian Empire. Kind of cool, but it kind of gives you, like, chills. You know, there is a whole world of angelic beings that are, you know, passing in and out of our dimension, very exciting. Um, but definitely, what are we speaking about? Psalm 122.6 says that we are tasked to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which will come. Now, I find this interesting because yeah, do we really need to bug God? You know, do we, does God need to bug us, and that's my term, to bug him to remember stuff? Is God forgetful? Well, he's he's from eternity. Does that mean he's losing his memory? Of course he's not. God works in the area of repetition. If you understand neurology and and the study of the human brain, repetition makes habits. Habits change physical and neurochemical pathways in the brain. God wants our heart spiritually, but he also wants our heart emotionally, how we think. He wants us to be in He wants to be invested in us, mind, body, and spirit. It's very interesting. So you see a lot of repetition in the scripture. God says, hey, I'm reminding you to remind me. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't need to be reminded. (laughs) But this is what he does, and it's it's very fascinating. Verses 8 through 9. So we go from, and you've got to watch this in prophecy, we go from uh, spiritual now to physical. What happened physically? And how is God going to change that? Verses 8 through 9. He was going to give the inhabitants of Jerusalem, or he will in the future, protection from the raiders. I don't mean the football team. I actually, I heard some conversations. I'm not, Heather was so happy. She's she's like, oh, I found this boyfriend and he's not into sports. So uh, I was in the back. I said to Pastor Vinny, I said, is there a Super Bowl today? He goes, yeah. I have no idea. I don't even know who's playing. I wouldn't even know the names of it. That's not important. But... (laughs) So forget about the raiders. (laughs) Let's talk about the literal raiders who would come in and steal the wine and the produce and the the threshed grain from the Israelites. And he says there's going to be a day. And Israel today has walls and they have, um, you know, jets and all kinds of stuff. But they still, people still get in and cause chaos. 
because it's in this world, you're never going to have full security. But Christ, but the Lord speaks about a day where there will be full security. So we start to put all these, these pieces together and we see the picture of the puzzle. Okay? Again, he asks the watchman, the spiritual watchman, to give him no rest until Jerusalem's brightness, its glory, its, you know, it's protected. And, and we should still be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That hasn't stopped. Luke 18, Jesus, here's another thing. They talk about persistence. Jesus teaches on prayer, and he gives this parable of this persistent widow who's constantly going to the judge, constantly going to the judge until she gets what she needs. She gets her justice. And, and Jesus Christ tells us, like that persistent widow, that we're to continue to pray. I hear sometimes, you know, it's like somebody's got an issue and say, did you pray? Yeah, I prayed about it, like once. You know, God wants to, he wants to hear from us every day. Remember, it is a relationship. When you pray, you're talking to God. Neat stuff. So Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. We also see Jesus in Luke 11 uh, tell us that in prayer, what to ask for. You know, I want a new house. I want a bigger this. I want a bigger that. We can get caught up in that list, the want list, the Santa Claus list. Jesus says, as believers, continually pray for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's big. Holy Spirit is, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit upon conversion. He's para, he's with us. He's en, he's in. He's epi, he's upon. Holy Spirit is there for conviction. He's there for counsel. This is an awesome thing to have the Holy Spirit in our life. And quite frankly, I think we as Christians get into trouble when we out, when we get ahead of God and we're not in prayer and we're not asking for those spiritual things. So there's so many things in Scripture where um, God is, 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 is encouraging us to keep seeking him. God is the great coach. Right, coach? The great coach. You know, he's always he's, he's encouraging us. He's, you know, he wants us to, to continue to run the race. He wants us to cross the finish line. And it's an exciting thing to, to see in Scripture. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there anybody here... Who came here, and maybe you came here seeking, and maybe you, there's a situation in your life, and maybe you're ready to give up. Maybe you're at the end of your rope, so to speak. I really hope this message encourages you. Because as Pastor Sam and I were talking, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. His mindset, he's for us. He, he wants to continue encouraging us. And we see a lot of that in the scripture. So I hope that ministers to you today, whoever you might be. Um, continuing on, are we the watchmen as Christians? Are we praying? Are we, listen, our culture is rotting. You know, just two people could be on, on different political ends of the spectrum and hate each other, and they don't know each other. This is how messed up our culture is. There's confusion, there's hatred, there's anger, there are things that are, keep festering in our culture, things that keep being brought up, and uh, it's a really sad thing to look at. But for me personally, I know in my heart that part of my prayer life is to pray for my country, to pray for my nation, to pray for my neighborhood, you know, to pray for my neighbors. You know what I'm saying? So to, to continue to be persistent like he calls us to be. Last two verses, three verses. 
he continues, go through, verse 10, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. So three out of three is Jerusalem gets a makeover. Well, you watch TV, everybody's getting a makeover, right? Jerusalem as a city is going to get a makeover, and it's going to be beautiful. And in, in addition to that, Revelation 21 tells us that in the future, God will actually fashion and craft this cubicle city that has actually the distance from, like, New Jersey to Florida uh, in three dimensions, adorned, beautiful, and it's going to come out of heaven, and it's going to be, you know, to me, it's like, it's like a believer's playground. All the things that God has prepared for us, very exciting. Uh, I hope that uh, all this stuff happens before I get my next surgery, you know what I'm saying? I hate the recovery periods. Okay, so we continue, and uh, what do we see here? For those of you that are Bible students, we see, again, more prophecies about the Lord coming, the daughter of Zion, your salvation is coming. We're seeing this physically, we're seeing this uh, spiritually. If I could turn to Zechariah 9.9, 9, you see some similarities here, but with a little bit of n- nuances. And this is about the first coming of the Messiah. So you see the first and second constantly throughout the prophetic books. First coming, second coming. He goes back and forth. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. If we could turn to Matthew 21, we'll see that fulfillment. Matthew 21, verse 4. Actually, I'll start with verse 1. Sorry for the guys in the projector. booth. <laughs> They're going to scramble to back up the the verses, but Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is the first century, and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this actually happened. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah 9.9, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we have to make that dichotomy. The first century, he came humble, died for our sins. First century. In our future, he's going to come again in power and glory and redeem the physical creation. We'll get to see the new Jerusalem. Very exciting thing. But let me go back a moment because go through the gate, through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highways, take out the stones, lift up the banner for the peoples. We've seen this before, heap it up, heap it up. And the way they would build roads back then, um, and sometimes there would be a dip in the road and they would put debris and then stone and they would try to make these roads kind of straight if they could. Um, you know, if there was a hump in it and they, and they could dig it, dig it up and, and level it out, they would do that. But John the Baptist, when he came, he spoke of, again, this road to God. But really what he was talking about was the road of our heart to God. 
You can, you can come in here with a preconceived idea about Christianity and God and all that kind of stuff. And you can hear with your ears the words of the scripture that are trying to penetrate your heart and bring you closer to the living God. But you could have obstacles. You could have obstacles if you're, I don't know, a college student, some of these throwback professors throwing out these challenges about Christianity that they can't substantiate. Uh, you could have obstacles with your family. How is this going to be taken? So when we look at the scripture, yes, there's going to be this, this highway, and yes, there will be nothing hindering physically when the Lord returns people to come physically to see him through these roads. But don't forget the spiritual aspect to this. And for you this morning, whoever you might be, um, God always tries to reach us through the scripture. That's clear. What's the obstacle in your heart? Is it pride? Took me a little while coming to church. You know, I'd, I'd hear the altar call and I'd be like, well, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> and I would still listen, though. I was very intrigued by the word. I was intrigued by the science and the history and paleography and stuff that surrounds it. And eventually the barriers were removed and I got up and I went forward and the rest is history. Here I am. And it's that journey that we go through in life. But God, I don't care what scripture you read from Genesis to Revelation. He's always trying to call us to him, to a relationship with him. And these things don't change between the Old and the New Testament and between dispensations. He's trying to call us to a living relationship with him. And that's exciting. Amen. So, is there anything in your life this morning that's hindering you? And again, I went through this. Somebody could be here, and part of them, part of what you're hearing is, is appealing. And part of it, you're, you're in your mind, you're actually trying to resist it and saying, oh, I don't want to be brainwashed by this guy. It's not about me. It's the scripture. It's, I'm just reading what he wrote. You know what I'm saying? I'm just being honest because these are the things that I've heard over the decades and some of the things I might have experienced. Don't let anything, don't let any obstacle hinder you from coming to your creator. So the big picture is we can look at Jerusalem, we can see its pinnacle of glory, you know, we could see the Lord's second coming, we could see Israel as a nation's national repentance and acceptance of Christ, which is the future. We can see the the millennial kingdom, we can see this future convergence of the community of the Jew and Gentile church, along with Israel accepting Christ as a nation. But where are you this morning as an individual? If you don't know the Lord, we'll give you an opportunity today. And my question is, are you going to be in his kingdom? Because this world is rotting. This world is a sinking ship. It's taking on water. It can't be saved. It's marred by sin, and the Lord is going to remake everything. Will you be in the new kingdom? You can be. If it's your desire this morning, it can be. And we'll talk how to do that. If you do know the Lord, and sometimes Christians need to hear this, as Christians, are we selfish with our time and our goals and our resources? Are we selfish? Yeah, yeah, I accepted the Lord 20 years ago, and we're just flat now. I accepted the Lord over 20 years ago. I love the Lord. I want to keep serving him until my last breath. Where have we gotten as Christians? Have we gotten off track? Are there things in our life that are distracting us? Yes, we may be saved. Yes, we may be going to heaven. But we forgot what it meant to be a Christian. We forgot the ministry of reconciliation. Every Sunday, uh, I either see many of you bring somebody to church that you care about. 
or you're praying for somebody to come to church because you love them and you want to be closer to God. Some of you bring strangers and some of you meet somebody for the first time and befriend them. That's a healthy church. It's about, you, you know what you have in Christ, the forgiveness, the love, the reconciliation. You want everybody to have it, including your enemies. Now, some of you might say, that's weird. No, not really. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Think about this. This is probably not the way Jesus was thinking. If your enemy becomes saved and they become your friend, you have less of a headache. It's just a little practical, pragmatic uh, advice from the pulpit. I know that's not why Jesus meant it. So it's just Joe's words, the Lord's word. The Lord's are up here. Listen, we see what's going on in the world. A lot of God's promises still have yet to be fulfilled. Everyone in the past has been fulfilled to 100% accuracy. God's kingdom is coming. My question is, will you be in it? Do you want to? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.